Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? Going great. Uh, loving the weather we're getting here in Kentucky. Uh, business is fine. Everything's going nice. Uh, excited about my trip to Ireland. So ready to go, man. What about you? How are you doing over there? Doing great, man. Everything's going well. Uh, springtime's here. It's 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 beautiful outside, and you know we're just we're ready and rearing to go. And uh, you know we've got a couple you know business ventures we're working on outside of this this podcast, and they've been doing well as well. And so, you know, it's definitely a optimistic time, and and one where I think that is going to make 2022 the best year yet. And and speaking of just a phenomenal time, we actually had a great conversation with John Orr, who's the president of Carolina Retail Experts. Uh, just a wealth of knowledge and information. Uh, we we, we kind of dove in to his experience and background in the retail space. He actually started as a retailer and then got into the, the commercial brokerage space and then development as well through those experiences as having, having built relationships with those individuals in the commercial brokerage space. So during our conversation, we talked about why he decided to focus on the retail sector. Obviously, he was in the retail space prior to that as a business owner. And so that kind of lended his, his reasoning for actually wanting to go into the commercial brokerage space and focus on the retail sector. He talked about some of the nuances of, you know, analyzing retail opportunities. Uh, again, it's, it's a completely different property type. And, you know, he even mentioned a lot of the brokerages, uh, you know, when they have new people come on board, a lot of times they don't even want to deal with retail because of all the intricacies and nuances. So they're just like, you know, go, go ahead and tackle retail. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I've, I, I've enjoyed it so much is because it is, you know, very intricate, has a lot of moving parts. And in this episode, we kind of highlight some of the reasons why that is the case. Uh, we also touched on, you know, how COVID has affected the retail industry, uh, both from a supply chain standpoint, and then what's the future of retail going to look like, you know, post in a post-COVID world. And then finally, we rounded it out uh, with him, you know, giving some advice to people pertaining to, you know, the brokerage space and for those individuals who are looking to get started and, and just advance within their career. So, I, you know, I found it super insightful as someone who specializes in retail. It was a great conversation because we got to talk shop about something that you know, I do on a day-to-day basis. So I, I found a lot of value in it. So Jeff, what do you think? Well, John Orr is a great guy. I, I, th- I like the part on that. He uh, took a chance uh, with his business partners. Uh, they didn't have as much experience as he did. And uh, he just liked that their, their work and their drive and stuff. And so he took a chance with them and created his company. And uh, now they're just, you know, launching to the moon. So I can't wait to see uh, their growth over the next few years and see where they go. But yeah, uh, yeah, John's a great stand-up guy. So, definitely no, I couldn't agree more. And you know, he's in Carolina. He he made a joke about yeah. how a lot of people don't know the difference between you know South and North Carolina, but he is in the South Carolina. Uh, you know, but it, but looking forward to eventually going down there and interacting with him because you know I hear always I always hear great things about uh you know the state itself. And then another thing before we get started, we always do this, but we really greatly appreciate you guys' support yes, for the podcast. It's unbelievable you know, your, your guys's engagement and downloads of the podcast. And a big reason for that, I think is because we've been, you know, asking you guys on a regular basis to leave us reviews and, 
you know, this is the time of the podcast. We're going to ask you to leave us a review. If you can take a moment here and just go to Apple podcasts and leave us whatever feedback or honest review you want to provide us. It really helps with the, with the algorithm and ensures that more and more people can ultimately reach, uh, uh, you know, we can get the best reach possible for our podcast. So we would greatly appreciate it. So now without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into the podcast. Well, good morning, John. Great to see you uh, this fine morning. Uh, how, how's everything looking over there in, in your neck of the woods? Good morning, guys. Uh, we are shoveling sunshine in Charleston, South Carolina today. It's about 77 and sunny. Beautiful, day. beautiful fall, February day. Oh, that's great. Yeah. February day at 77. Day. That's always yeah. nice. Yeah, no. And, and that's and that's one of the places that I've actually wanted to go visit. We're actually located in Louisville, Kentucky, and, you know, they just opened up a direct flight to Charleston. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely trying that's to take right. advantage of that and check it out because, you know, it's one place I've never been. So. Well, careful, because once people come visit, a lot of them just ship all their stuff down and stay. So. <laughs> well, We'll see. Maybe that's the case the next time I come visit. But again, John, we're, we're really honored to have you on. And uh, we're yeah. excited to talk a little bit about your background and your story. So typically what we do when we first uh, invite someone on the podcast is to learn a little bit more about their background. So if you don't mind kind of sharing a little bit about yourself, I think that'd be great. Sure, absolutely. I'm an Atlanta native and I've been in the real estate business almost my entire life. Right after college, I was a professional bicycle racer and triathlete, which was kind of an interesting thing. But in the early 90s, they only paid prize money for the first one or two places and already owned a bicycle shop. So third and fourth place, you would get bicycle tires and handlebar tape and none of those things that were really, you know, that I needed as much as I needed the cash. So uh, but my family was in the real estate business. My dad developed subdivisions, the horizontally built a few houses, but mainly subdivision development. And some friends that I raced with worked for a company called JDN Realty. They developed Walmart Supercenter projects around the country, and they would head out on Friday afternoon and go to the race. And I worked in retail, so I had to stay and close the store at seven o'clock at night. And I was like, maybe these guys have it figured out. And from there, I worked for a third-party leasing management company uh, in Atlanta for about a year and a half. A friend of mine started a, a private REIT, bought about 135 shopping centers in a little over four years. And in 96, sold that to uh, for $100 million, which in 1996 seemed like all the money in the world. And now it seems like earnest money on some projects. But uh, And at that point, they were going to take it public. The public REIT market really fell off uh, off the cliff uh, in 96. But I, nevertheless, uh, I moved at that point to Charleston, South Carolina and began developing grocery store anchor projects. I did projects in Charleston, uh, Metro Nashville, Orlando, Atlanta, uh, around the Southeast. And after a couple of years evolved into developing single tenant net lease retail and our company was the largest developer in the country for AutoZone stores for about three years um, and AutoZone Family Dollar were our main single tenant net lease projects. We developed several other multi-tenant buildings and, and a few shopping centers, but that was really the, the thrust of the business, which I sold to my partner to 2008. Uh, in the fall of 2008, we were in the process of you know, transferring the business over to him. And then, as everyone knows, the world changed almost overnight in September. 
and we and it took us an extra few months to resolve the the sale of the business because we were one of the only people who actually paid our bills to the banks and we couldn't get their attention uh, until the next spring because everybody else stopped paying their mortgages. So, um, and, and I went on a bit of a sabbatical and uh, because really everyone in commercial real estate was on sabbatical then and factored receivables and uh, interesting things like that. And then was called back into duty, if you will, uh, by uh, a friend of mine who, a uh, local attorney, and they were awarded a huge bankruptcy case and needed a real estate professional, and it was hundreds of properties and uh, over a dozen states. And so the short story is the federal bankruptcy court hired, hired us as the uh, real estate professional in the case, and that really is what um, got me re-enlisted and uh, because it's so much fun. I mean, I love this stuff. I love commercial real estate. I love the deal. I mean, some would call me a deal junkie, which is, you know, is what it is. It's a label. I'll wear it proudly. And throughout the course of that, uh, I joined, uh, joined Colliers and spoke at the College of Charleston to the graduating senior class and one graduating senior in particular, because if in Charleston, we're polite, if nothing else. And so you speak to a class, you leave your card. And if anyone's interested in an internship, let me know. I'm happy to, to discuss it further with you without really much of interest in, in having an intern at all. And one graduating senior in particular, uh, Elise uh, Welch is her name. She called me and she texted me and she emailed me and I completely did not return her calls or emails or texts because I had really no interest, but she was doggedly persistent. And that should have tipped me off right there. She's also in the Hall of Fame for the College of Charleston Volleyball. She's a Final Four sand volleyball competitor. So, I mean, she's very, very, very competitive. And through an interesting turn of events, her family in Atlanta is good friends with a guy that I grew up with in the real estate business who told me, he said, look, you, you need to hire a lease. And I said, like, who? I don't even know who you're talking about. I'm not hiring anybody. He said, no, as a favor, meet with her. I said, okay, have her call me between 745 and eight o'clock Thursday morning. It's between school drop off and when I get to the office <clears throat> and I'll talk to her. So she set her alarm, as all college students would, to be up at 7.45 in the morning and called. I answered the phone. She said, I want to meet and talk about the internship. I said, okay, great. Meet me at Glazed Donuts on King Street in about 15 minutes. And she said, okay, I'll be there. Turns out she lived just uh, a couple of blocks away. So she got up and got dressed and ran down King Street at 8 o'clock in the morning. And we had a cup of coffee and I went into this what I thought was an incredibly compelling dissertation about how when you're young and you're female that and you have a job that pays a salary, you really the last thing you want to do is get into commercial real estate because it's dominated by a bunch of old white men and you won't make any money for a long, long time. I can say that because I'm one of the old white men in the business and just, you know, take the job with the salary and, and you'll be, you'll be fine. And, and so I filled my coffee and I said, you know, any other questions, you know, before we wrap up, she goes, well, I really, 
appreciate all your thought and your insights, but after I graduate, I've got a flight to Vegas and I'm registered for the ICSC conference and I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna find a job in retail commercial real estate in Charleston, South Carolina. And so we stared each other down for what seemed like about 20 minutes. It was probably, you know, 30 seconds. But at that moment I knew she might not do very well, but I would rather find that out with her on my team than on the competitor's team if she actually does very well. So we started working together on uh, the Monday of ICSC, and so we've been together ever since. Since that uh, time, we've worked together and we formed uh, Carolina Retail Experts, and we have a third partner, uh, Lindsay Halter, who joined us about three years ago, and who's an integral part of the team. And we kind of take on, each of us have a little bit different role Elise manages the tenant rep business, Lindsay uh, heads up of the landlord services, and I focus on the investment sales primarily. I mean, we all shift into different, different directions as we go. But uh, that's, that is the overview and summary of kind of how I got here from there and how we chose to start Carolina Retail Experts. And I'm happy to go into a little more detail about who are the Carolina retail experts? Oh, for sure. No, and yeah. I love I love the the background that you were mentioning pertaining to, you know, you being in the retail business to start off with because, you know, a lot of so for example, my broker locally, he we're all we kind of focus in retail and industrial properties and he used to be a restaurant owner. So he owned several restaurants <sighs> in the past and he realized after a while that it's a brutal business to be in long term. It was a family business, so it was just kind of like a generational type of thing. Uh, but he brings a different perspective and that, that's a little bit more, you know, attainable for people who are in the retail space because, it's like, look, I was in your shoes before, and you can offer that owner's perspective as it pertains to the retail space. So, you know, it's it's helped him immensely, and I'm sure it's helped you guys as well. So, no, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Huge respect for anyone who runs a retail business or, or frankly, any business. I mean, it's it's not easy. If it were easy, more people would do it but especially retail business because, uh, you know, and I'm, I know we want to talk about kind of the way retail has evolved over the last few years specifically, but retail is hard. I mean, it, you have to open the store, you have to have inventory um, and those things. And so what, you know, our Carolina retail experts, our, our mission statement is to create places for owners, retailers and investors in which they can connect the businesses, people, and the communities to influence culture. And so I know there's yeah. a lot in there, but it, it, it really, it's fundamentally, foundationally in the neighborhood level. I mean, what restaurant do we not have here? What would be a great soft goods retailer? Do we need a grocery store? And so we, you know, we, we kind of use that as, as a guiding uh, light into you know, the, the focus of what we do and, and one of our mottos is that we do the right deal at the right time for the right reason and everything else will, will work itself out instead of trying to you know, jam a deal in because it's the one vacant space or, you know, because of a fee or because of a relationship. 
if it's the right deal, it's the right deal and it's the right time and it's good for the property, the tenant, the owner, the neighborhood, the community, everyone. So that's, it's, I know it, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm sure what everyone else is doing out there, but, or maybe not, but just wanted to put it out there and, you know, because that's the way we, we look at it. It's all about doing the right work with the right people instead of necessarily just, you know, trying to do, you know, deal count or volume or anything like that. So definitely. Well, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm kind of curious. I, I know you're on uh, retail and you own that, but why didn't you go with like say office or medical or industrial sector of commercial real estate? <laughs> Was it? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, that is a fantastic question. And I wish I had a really insightful answer, but the, the truth of the matter, and I, and I talked to college students and people young, new, entering the business all the time. And I've only been asked that question a few times, but it, it's, it, it's very interesting and, kind of, you know, when I think back to it, how I ended up in retail was really not a conscious decision in that I didn't say, well, there's retail, there's industrial, there's office. Do I gravitate to this or that or the yeah. other? And because the business I was in was retail, the people yeah. that I hung out with socially, they were all in the retail commercial real estate world. And I've never, you know, honestly, I can't remember considering, well, maybe I should be working on office space, or maybe I should be yeah. working on industrial space. You know, and I, and I tease all my friends that do industrial and office. And, you know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, industrial, you got to have access and power or maybe a rail and a clear height, and that's it. And in office, it's, how much space do I have? Can we park it? Is it close to the CEO's house or the workforce? Okay, easy enough. But in retail, I have people I meet on airplanes or, or wherever. And yeah, I'm Charleston, South Carolina. And they'll, most of the time the comment is, oh, we love Carolina. I mean, Carolina is great. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, do you know there's a North and a South Fantasy. Carolina? It's not just like, you know, one big state. And they said, we go anywhere in Carolina. But what they really mean, yeah, you've heard that before, yeah, anywhere yeah. is fine. Yeah. But what they really mean is that to, to drill down much further, the psychograph of their particular customer profile, what that means is they need to be, uh, for example, on King Street in downtown Charleston with 40 front feet you know, in order to be able to display their, you know, merchandise appropriately. And there is no such thing as, oh, we'll go anywhere. That just, in retail, that's un unthinkable. And one of my other pet peeves is when people, they'll send you an email that says, these are great demographics. <laughs> and, you know, that is, well, it kind of depends. I mean, if you're, if you're Dollar General, Great demographics are much different than Louis Vuitton or yeah. Lululemon or so. I think that's that's a relative term. I mean, it's it's you know it it really comes down to you know and, and I believe that 
you know, I teased my friends in the industrial office that, oh, it's so much easier. I wish I would have done that back in the day. But you don't have industrial buildings don't have co-tenancy obligations and, you know, all these other things that seem to be fairly unique to retail. So it's it is, I believe, the most challenging to execute. But at the same time, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's really fun <laughs> when I got a text last night from a friend of ours that owns a restaurant. He's like, hey, we're having our anniversary party on Monday night. Come by. I was like, okay, great. They're closed on Mondays. I was like, okay, here we go. That's a whole lot more fun than hanging out at an industrial building on a Saturday afternoon when they're closed. I don't know what, I don't even know what happens out there, but it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, and sure. And, and, I, and I'll echo that as well on on the the diversity of, of deals that you can work on. I mean, I I've in my short career, I've been in the business for about two and a half years now, and I've worked on several shopping center deals where you're having to analyze all different types of leases, and there's different obligations within those leases. There may be some restrictions in what uses can go in the center. You know, there's there's all these different variables that you have to consider as you're looking at these retail opportunities, and you know, add on you know single tenant net lease, which what you're talking about. I mean, additionally, you're, you have an additional layer of of complexity when you're dealing with corporate entities and some of the restrictions they require. And, you know, I've, I've found it extremely insightful uh, as, so far. And, and that's one of the reasons why I really like retail and similar to you, it you just kind of fall into it. I mean, if you don't have, really have a background in commercial real estate, you just say, okay, well, you know, I just so happen to join this brokerage or I just so happen to have a lot of friends that are in retail. And, you know, I just kind of naturally fell into that, into that medium. I mean, I, I come from a software background. I have no, sales experience before and I joined a brokerage and they just so happen to be pretty heavy into retail and industrial. And that's kind of what I've been falling into. So it's uh, interesting to hear you say that. I find a lot of uh, my friends who are focused on industrial or office space and they have new people come into the business or into their shop and they don't want to deal with retail because it's a lot easier. I mean, a 50,000 foot industrial building is, is a cakewalk compared to a 50,000 foot uh, grocery store lease, for example. And so they're like, oh, oh, you can do retail. We, we need more help in retail. That, that's where you can start. And most young people, they just don't know how incredibly complicated and complex it is. But, but, a, but a fundamental believer that if you can execute retail, then everything else is is a piece of cake. I mean, that's that's the uh, high bar, so to speak. I think that, that's awesome. No, for sure. And so one one of the questions we had uh, was pertaining to you know some of the common mistakes you see business owners and and since you're on the investment side, if you could also speak on the investment side, some of the some of the uh, you know issues or mistakes that they come across when they actually look to acquire retail property. Yeah. So it it's interesting with the environment that we have today it seems like the the buyer pool has certainly changed uh from you know what we saw five or even especially 10 years ago where most of the investors were uh you know what you would call a qualified investor or more of a real estate professional and it seems like the the 1031 exchanges have really changed the landscape especially on the sub $10 million price point and, and absolutely in the single tenant net lease world where Aunt Sally sells her house and she wants to cash flow and so she goes out and buys a dollar store, a pharmacy, I mean, whatever that is, and, and she exchanges into it. She has no 
experience with any property management and and granted there aren't a whole lot of property management items that you have to be aware of you know for a, a single tenant net lease property until the end of the lease term or until someone drives their car through the storefront and you've got to get it repaired or you know all of those are I mean, there's a real life examples that have happened that happen virtually every day. And so when when that new investor pool, I mean, it's almost like the the retail investors in the stock market, especially during COVID, they're new, they're momentum trading, they're not really fundamental trading. So it's not as much about the intrinsic value of the asset and like we all know the the uh, presentation i gave at the college of charleston uh, when i met at least was that the lease document has so many items in it that are of value to increase or decrease the value of that lease that are completely unrelated to rent you know, it's expenses, it's expense stops, it's co-tenancies, it's all these different things. And until you find either, you know, a professional who you can trust to give you good advice, who can analyze that lease, and and there are a lot of attorneys and CPAs and people who can do kind of the white and black analysis of it. But really the sweet spot that we found is the kind of the gray area of, okay, this is the rent today, but the market rent is actually 40% higher than that. So we go to bed every night and we say a little prayer that the tenant will say, hey, we want out, you know? And, and so that's a great strategy. And so that makes this property more appealing than that property or a double net lease versus a triple net lease or all those different things. So and I'm, I'm concerned that there's a, a group of investors who, or property owners, I, I struggle to call them investors, who buy these assets and they're just not exactly sure, you know, they're just looking at, okay, this is how much money I spend and this is my monthly cash flow. And I mean, and, and that's certainly a metric to look at, but at some point the music stops and you have to figure out, what do I do next? Um, and then there's the other end of the spectrum that we see where there are funds or there are, you know, the huge capital um, components who they look at a $75 million shopping center, 30 day inspection period and five day close. Like what? How do you, how in the world can you get a survey in 30 days or update to tie? You know, it, it's, it's, wow, I don't know how they do that, but it, it's such a large property. And, you know, a, a few of these people that I've talked to, they're like, look, dude, my job is to go place the money. I'm not really, you know, you know, 10 years, I'm not going to be here. I just need to go out and place money because if I don't do that today, I won't be here next week. So, so it's a, you know, it's, and, and there are bidding wars to win these assets, but it's not necessarily because somebody's trying to undervalue the asset and pick it up on the cheap, but it's that somebody else has 
a re, you know, a financial reason that they need to place this money or an emotional reason that they want this trophy property and they're willing to bid the price up and, and on the hope that, well, the market's going to get better. It's a great property. It's going to be wonderful tomorrow, five years from now, 10, whatever the Argus model says. For sure. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And, and I think as a function of the 1031 money, like you were saying, there's a lot of cash out there looking for a place to, to call home. And it's obviously part of the reason why these assets are getting driven up significantly. And I really love your point regarding, you know, what happens at the end of the day, because we had a gentleman, Barry Wolf, which I'm sure you've, you've, you've seen, he's all over LinkedIn and he's, right, right. No he's heavy, heavy into retail. And he was mentioning how, you know, when you're looking at these single tenant at least opportunities, you have to get a feel for what is going to happen if they were to decide to leave. Because if you buy, let's say a Dollar General in, in the middle of nowhere, it could be a phenomenal investment opportunity because there's really not a lot of competition out there. But what happens if they leave? What are you actually going to be able to achieve as far as rents are concerned? And, you know, if you're getting 12 bucks a square foot at this Dollar General and they leave and now the market rate's six bucks a square foot, you just essentially have the value of your building, if not even less, because you may not be able to find a, an operator that wants to move in that space. And so, you know, with those investment opportunities, I, I, I really value what you said. So I just kind of wanted to extract some of those kernels of insights. Yeah, Rafa, yeah. I think that's a great point that a lot of people don't really, you know, they they look at it. I mean, we talk about trading it as a commodity, but but a lot of people look at it as a commodity and a cap rate. And that's really, you know, it, we're buying it. Here's the NOI that we don't care about anything else. And, and, and I think that is a very uh, amateurish view, you know, to for lack of a really a better word. But but those things, I believe, are going to come, you know, those a lot of those leases are expiring. They have renewal options and, you know, it may be cheaper to go just relocate down the street, build a new building or maybe, you know, the road went this way instead of that way. And so, yeah. you know, we, we don't need to be there anymore. Yeah. And walk you, away. hundred percent. And, and I mean, that, that, I mean, at the rate at which some of these operations are expanding is unbelievable. I mean, I read an article the other day that said yum brands for Taco Bell and various other uh, quick service restaurants. I think they expect, they, 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 they create a new restaurant every two hours. Right. Last year. Yeah. That's like a thousand, they had like a thousand or 1500 locations or something within one year. So imagine, I mean, it's great, I'm sure, and, and, and again, I haven't re re reviewed the P&L for them or their, their balance sheet or whatever else, so I don't really know, you know what the logic was as far as their expansion. But again, I imagine that there would be, there's a reason for it, uh, but if something were to happen that would disrupt you know, that, that growth, what happens to you know, maybe some of those older locations that maybe weren't oriented the right way to begin with, or maybe they've thought of a new way to be able to orient it and to, to maximize sales, those go by the wayside. You know? So it's one of those things that it's important to kind of think about. So, yeah. so incredibly true. I mean, I think that 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 is kind of leads into the whole conversation about what are the changes that we're experiencing in retail and how how did COVID impact those? And I mean, we've read about and continue to read about everywhere that there are labor shortages and supply chain issues. I mean, I don't know, seems like a thousand chips off the uh, Port of LA, you know, just kind of hanging out in the ocean out there. Even the Port of Charleston, I mean, there's a, a, an anchorage just out past the sea buoys and there, you know, would be one or two ships out there three, four years ago. Now you go out there almost any time, there are half a dozen, you know, 12, 15 ships and they're just waiting to get into the port. 
it, but that supply chain, that those labor shortages, and then the, you know, it it creates a problem that, and I'm not sure exactly. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Is why why is it okay now? Uh, because I am you know the world's greatest. You speak to me very long. I will talk about the uh, retail experience. And I've said it a million times and I'm, you know, I feel like a, you know, the preacher for the retail experience. And at the beginning of COVID, there were, you know, probably 20 to 30% of the retailers who were operating who weren't going to make it to the end of the year because they had a poor or, or substandard retail experience. And when COVID hit, they used it as an excuse or, or whatever, just to say, ah, that's okay, we're gonna throw in the towel, we'll be fine. Um, and then there were others, you know, like, you know, especially the QSRs, I mean, Chipotle is another good example, uh, in addition to Taco Bell and, and, and several of others, who said, hey, how can we do this differently and create a better retail experience, serve our customers better with our existing facilities and what do we need to do going forward in our new facilities? To, to serve those customers. Uh, you know, you've seen uh, McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, they have these double drive-throughs and there are uh, several Starbucks that are in the process now of incorporating what they call a Y drive-through lane, which is very similar double concept, a uh, double drive-through concept, just because that's what we want because that's a great, I mean, Starbucks is a great retail experience n no matter who you are. It is a phenomenal retail experience. They've doubled down. They've done a great job serving the customer and they've had labor shortages. They've had supply chain shortages. Yeah, sure. But what they've done an exceptional job of is communicating with the customer, both brick and mortar in the store, as well as the omni-channel, either emails, texts, uh, or social media has been a has been a huge component of that you know what i mean and you know there's all the social media about starbucks this and starbucks that but at the end of the day you're communicated with and you appreciate that and so i wonder if there you know and there everybody who has a poor retail experience can't go away or maybe not and and so there's the you know, the front runners, the 25% of retailers across every genre who are best in class. And then there are the 25% who are, you know, one rental payment away from going out of business. But then there's this kind of messy middle half of retailers. And I say retailers, it's not limited to retail, but by and large, it's retail where you walk into the restaurant and they're like, hey, look, I'm sorry, it's a 45 minute wait because staff didn't come in today or staff got COVID or whatever. And, you know, we've we've kind of conditioned ourselves to say, you know, that's OK. I understand. We'll, we will allow you to deliver a substandard or a subpar retail experience because Nah, you know, I understand labor shortages. I understand the spot change an issue. And and I'm concerned that that is really, you know, 
creating an atmosphere or a landscape. We as a customer are creating an atmosphere and a landscape where it's okay to do just okay. I mean, there's a TV commercial about that, but <laughs> so, you know, how long does this last? And when do you have to actually get back to doing a really good job to separate you from, you know, your competitor or, uh, you know, an alternative spend for, you know, for the shoe store to do a better job. So you buy more shoes than you buy pants or whatever that is. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And I think that it's really kind of an interesting question. Oh, for sure. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the user experience piece is what you're referencing is phenomenal. And and I think you're seeing it a lot in, in number one, the orientation of structures and buildings. I mean, you're seeing a lot of these like bank ranches starting to close up and they're being reconverted into some other quick service restaurant use or some other retail use that incorporates a drive through component, making them a lot more seamless for people to be able to access the product. Uh, I love the fact you brought up Starbucks because one of the cool things about Starbucks, too, is their their online integration with with you know their their apps and everything else and a cool thing about starbucks too which i just recently found out is that all those gift cards like the starbucks gift cards they act as essentially a savings account for for starbucks like there's almost i think it was i remember i can't remember the exact statistic but there's like over a billion dollars in gift cards that are on Star starbucks books and technically they're you know there you can spend whenever but like 20 percent or 30 percent of the gift cards that are a starbucks gift card never get used so what does that right. mean now you as the retailer have access to this capital that you can go deploy in other other facets. And again, at some point that may come due as a liability, but that that gives you access to capital that you had never had before. And then obviously, like you said, integrating some some form of online component where you can just stop in, pick it up, go. I think that's again from the quick service side is 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 going to be the way of the future. I mean, retailers that can't operate in that capacity, you know, may get a pass for a year or two, but at some point it's going to become the norm. So. I like what you're saying about the social media aspect of it all on, on the retailer forum, which brings me to talk. The next question is, how have you used social media to like advance your career? Because I know uh, you're you use LinkedIn quite a bit, and uh, I'd like to let everyone know like what you're doing out there. So sure, absolutely, I, and, and uh, we've really evolved the way we think about social media and its role in our business. When when we initially announced the Carolina Retail Experts, we sent the traditional press release out to about 63 different media outlets, everybody from ICSC to the local paper, all over the state, the region, the country. And it was really interesting because uh, I have a sister-in-law who lives in Charleston as retired and she and her husband read the paper religiously every day. Yeah. And she said, sends me a text. She said, great. I saw the announcement of the paper. I was like, oh, that's, that's great. That's it. Other than that, nobody said, Hey, I saw the announcement in the paper, but so I don't know if they didn't read it or didn't care or just didn't say anything, but we put it on LinkedIn and we've gotten thousands and thousands of, of views and interactions and and accolades and congrats. Hey, send me your new information. This is great. You know, hey, and and it, it seems to be. And so with that, we really don't feel compelled to do a press release because most of our business is 
on the landlord side, the, the ownership side, those are by and large professional investors. I mean, it's Aunt Sally, you know, who bought that uh, Dollar General that the lease comes up in eight months and she's not sure what's going to happen when they stop paying rent. That That's not really who we're geared to to work best for. We do the lion's share of the, the REIT work uh, throughout the state. And we're, we're geared to report and execute that plan for that level of, uh, of real estate owner. You know, and it's, yeah. it's different. I mean, everybody's not built to do that. And on the tenant side, I mentioned Starbucks, we represent the, uh, one of the best in class in each genre. So Starbucks, not Dunkin'. Uh, Academy Sports, not Dicks. Um, you know, and First Watch uh, for breakfast. So, and and along those lines, you know, we're very focused on who who we work for and who we represent. And with a couple of exceptions, almost everyone that we work for, especially on the investment sales side. I mean, it, the buyer could be in a different state, so could the property. They're not reading the local local paper to see your, you know, deal announcement, and so it doesn't matter. So we found that to go for the for the business to business interaction, LinkedIn seems to be probably the front runner today, and for the tenant interaction, it's it's interesting because. Uh, there was a while there where Facebook was really, really effective. I mean, you follow them on Facebook and send them a note and say, hey, I really like your retail store. We have this space. Is this something you could be interested in? Um, but it's very genuine, very grassroots. Um, but it seems like the tide has shifted to Instagram, maybe a little bit more so than, than Facebook in the last year or two. For retail especially, because pretty pictures and things like that. Um, I still use a great deal. I use Twitter a lot. I've you know, been on Twitter for longer than I'm really probably prepared to admit. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, and, and TikTok, and it, we're, we're on all the platforms and every platform requires a little bit different. You, you just can't send the same message on TikTok that you do on LinkedIn. It's a different audience, different, different profile, different message um, for the for the same the way you, you know, different, different pitch to get the ball across the plate, so to speak, and on LinkedIn than it is on TikTok or, or Instagram or anywhere else. So it takes a, a great deal of effort to to do that. And, you know, I was uh, counted among one of the most uh, influential commercial real estate people on LinkedIn and Twitter last year, at the CREI conference, which was, was great. I mean, it was uh, very flattering, but I think that the people that are doing what they can to build and grow and promote their personal brand and their company is, is what we're kind of moving. You know, we've evolved the way we work. 10 years, 15 years ago, people hired the firm. I mean, you yeah. hired, you know, one of the big firms and you just figured that they had somebody that would do a good job and 
and you're probably right. And and I think that to a degree, industrial is is partially still that way. Um, and office, I think, is a little more regionalized. But I think retail is very, very focused, hyper local. Like my my example about oh, we'll go anywhere in Carolina. But what they really mean is my customer is only going to shop at the you know within two blocks on King oh, of Street. Course. And so is you know, and and so we do a tremendous amount of work uh, as the local broker for all the national firms who have concepts that they represent uh, here. And, and we do the local work because we're boots on the ground. We have it's not just you know what space can I find on CoStar or LoopNet, but it's well, yeah, those are there. But here are the ones that aren't available on CoStar or you can't find on anywhere. We know the people that own the building. Here's the situation with the tenant. And you want to be south of this intersection because if you go north, the way the customer thinks about it is this or that. And so providing that that local knowledge, uh, boots on the ground, you know, just the total immersion in these markets uh, has been, has served us very well and, you know, and I think in order to let people know that's who you are and what you are, you, the best way to communicate with them is uh, LinkedIn and, you know, all the social media channels. In addition, I mean, good old fashioned phone calls and, you know, yeah. we send letters and, you know, there's probably other than press releases, there's really not a whole lot of, of avenues mm -hmm. that we don't deploy. So. Mm -hmm. So, awesome. so yeah. we're, we're completely all in on this new marketing philosophy of, of, you know, just getting to the customer wherever that customer may be. However they, however they want to see it, that's how we want to deliver it. So that's amazing. Sure. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the CREI, uh, you know, uh, list and it, it is a very prestigious list to be on. I think again, like, like you were mentioning the future of marketing obviously incorporates relationship building and i think a piece of the relationship building is knowing who someone is which is what i think a lot of people fail to understand is that utilizing these digital platforms you're able to get in front of more people so they can at least know who you are and then from there rapport can be built without you even having to be one-to-one -one with them and there was this book that uh is called high output management that kind of put this into perspective for me it's a management book completely unrelated to marketing but the logic there was that you could sit down with one person and explain something one-to-one -one and you have a one-to-one -one impact versus creating a video or some other form of digital content now that can be distributed to thousands of people and the the the, the objective and what you achieve is similar maybe not the exact same because you one-to-one -one connection can't be replicated but at least you can get that 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 frame of reference and that and that and that notice very very quickly to a large group of people and so you know it's always interesting to hear people talk about you know their experiences in digital media and that's why we kind of like to ask that question but uh john well go ahead go ahead i, I was gonna say you know and that's what the, the one of the things i love the most about your podcast is you you know we'll film this for an hour today yeah. and you know i suspect that everything that we talk about will be relevant for several years into the future and it's going to live on the internet and anyone can go you know anytime click on the podcast listen to it re-listen to it you know and and i mean i think of it frankly as a service that you provide to you know people all over the country and that 
type of interaction. I mean, we're all uh, connected on LinkedIn and everything else. And I think that that sort of interaction is, I think of it as the top level. And the follow-up action is you connect with somebody on LinkedIn, you, you need to send them a note. You need to say, hey, here's who I am, here's what I do, let me know if I can ever help you. Or on Instagram, I mean, you would be amazed if I were to reveal how many people that we get messages from on Instagram. You know, hey, you got a great concept, thanks for, you know, following us. They're like, hey, I got a question about this space or that space, or, or I may be looking for a new store. It, 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 it's not enough to just put it out into the world. You gotta, you've got to engage. And so once you engage, then I think that's where the, the uh, most, probably 80% of the people make the mistake. I mean, they do the first part, but they don't follow up and you know, interact with a phone call with an email, a text, whatever it is. So, sure. uh, so thanks so much for the service. Oh, no, for sure. And, yeah. and again, we, we're honored to have you so you could share the insights with the group. And, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm kind of biased, too, because I'm in the retail space. So it's been great to kind of talk to someone and talk shop a little bit about the retail space. So, again, uh, John, we greatly appreciate your time on the podcast today. It was it was an awesome discussion. Uh, one thing we usually do at the end of our podcast is we like to ask our guests to contribute something to the CRE treasure chest. Essentially, it's a repository of resources that we make available to our audience. And, you know, some guests have contributed PDFs, Excel sheets, really anything that would you think would be of value to our audience. So I don't know if you have something in particular you'd like to don't, uh, share today. You know, I actually do. Uh, I, I want to give you a couple of things to take away. And the first is our website, which is cre.expert. That cre.expert, there's no .com. And when you go to our website, we publish a monthly newsletter that has news based. I mean, you, you can select what you want to see, if you want to see retail news, investment sales or whatever. Uh, there's a link on there. It's cre.expert forward slash contact slash update my information. And, you know, just put your name and email in there and, and we'll send you information about national news and events, regional news and events, down to, you know, new listings if you want to see that, or if not, you know, whatever the case is. Uh, so that's one of the things that we do, and uh, our contact information is on there. So, yeah, we can, you know, we can, anytime We can include all that in the has, show notes as yeah, well. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, of course. And the, we, we, we're happy to include that in the show notes as well, so. The, the other one that I want to want to leave you with is we spoke a little bit about the the commercial real estate influencers that we started last year. Uh, we are um, hard at it again for this year. And the website for that is CREISUMMIT.com and CREISummit.com. And you can go in there and we are about to go live for the registration for this year's conference, uh, which is in uh, September. And, you know, I'd encourage you to go on there, especially to learn who the people are that made the list. And there are the lists of LinkedIn influencers. There's also a list of uh, the other uh, social media channels such as Twitter. 
But the main thing I'd encourage anyone to do is go ahead and put your name in the hat. It's a very simple form to fill out to become uh, recognized in the CREI influencer space. And, you know, come join us in September. It's a, it'll be a fantastic time. But another way to get your your brand out there to the masses. Most certainly. Absolutely. That's awesome. Sure. Great advice. Yep. John, we really, really appreciate you coming out. Um, I know I gained a ton of value uh, and the listeners and everyone that's viewing this on YouTube will definitely gain value from it. But if someone wants to contact you, um, should they like maybe contact you directly through LinkedIn or you want to channel them through the uh, Carolina retail experts? How would they? Yeah, absolutely. So my handle on all the social media platforms is at John or CCIM, J-O-H-N-O-R-R-C-C-I-M. Of course, the Carolina Retail Experts website, CRE.expert, uh, is a great way to reach me. Uh, phone, email, email is john at CRE.expert. Phone is 854-933-90. Call me anytime. And anything that I can help with, and I especially want to, want to speak to the, to the newer to the business people, yeah. One of the things that I, one of my crusades is to help create a smarter, more educated commercial real estate community. Uh, one final resource is CCIM.com, Certified Commercial Investment Member. I've been a member for 22 or three years, long time. It's a fantastic resource for people to, to really dig into great education. So any of those topics, call me, email me, text me hit me on on these social channels, anything I can do to help. I want to be a resource, you know, and, and build a smarter real estate community. That's awesome. No, Thank for you. sure. And, and I'll attest to CCIM as well. I'm actually working towards my designation and hopefully I'll have mine uh, this year. Uh, I've, I've finished all the curriculum and everything. So I just need to sit for the test and we'll uh, get it done. So I'm excited. Well, come to but, Charlotte. No, I, I'm sure yeah. if, if I, if I can take the test, I will. And I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> be reaching out to you if that's the case. So, um, but yeah, John, we, again, we greatly appreciate your time. For those of you guys who are watching on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate it if you could like and subscribe to the channel. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message. If you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, you name it, uh, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review. We've seen a significant uptick in our downloads, like over 100% increase over the last several months because of you guys leaving us five-star review. It's amazing to see the support that we received, but if you guys could take a few seconds and actually leave us a five-star review, it would be greatly appreciated. And Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you all next time.